millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. We don't do this very often on How Do We Fix It? Swear! The following program does include a bit of coarse or vulgar language. Listener discretion is advised. We interview a good friend of mine, which is maybe one reason why this is happening. I may ask too many questions. So, Jim, feel free to rein me in. Wait, wait, you ask too many questions? That that never happens on this show. <laughs> Bruce Van Dusen, prospering in a gig economy or what I know now that I wish I did when I was 25. I think that one of the things that I've found in my little corner, which would be filmmaking, is a lot of kids come out of film school. It's really unfortunate. But these programs give students a false idea that there are jobs out there. They are in need of a director named Frank, and you're going to walk into that job. There are no jobs. All of those jobs are going to be created on the fly, but your way of walking into them or being exposed to them is usually going to come not because of your skill of what you want to be, but because of some much more mundane skill that's going to get you in the room. Being able to type, being able to drive a stick shift. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Fresh out of college in the late 1970s, Bruce Van Dusen had big dreams and virtually no experience. He knew he wanted to make movies, still does, but the only ones that would pay him a living wage were little ones, 30-second movies, commercials. Bruce had no idea what he was doing, but did have talent for telling very short emotional stories, still does, and the hustle needed to fight for every job, no matter how small. It's something he's had to do almost every single day of his 40-year-plus career as a director of TV commercials. Bruce Van Dusen joins us in our remote studio from New York City. He's the author of a very funny new book and memoir called 60 Stories, About 30 Seconds. Bruce, welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you. Thank you for having me here, Jim and Richard. So, Bruce... Jim and I have had long careers in journalism, me and a big radio network, and Jim, you working at major magazines. And for at least most of the time, we had regular paychecks. Unlike you, what was different 
about your career from us? Yes, I would often as not get out of bed and be unemployed. You can either let that terrify you or you can let that be the reality of what it is and uh, move forward knowing that what your job was, not just to be a director, but also to go find work. I had an office to go to, but I never had a contract with any company. The assumption was always the job I was shooting was my last. Because so many people today are navigating this world without a single employer or without necessarily a, a, a steady paycheck. So we've extracted a few things from the book. So the first one I wanted to ask you about is a piece of advice. You don't say it exactly in these words, but learn to drive stick shift. And what I mean is that sometimes a certain life skill that you may not think is that big a deal can turn out to be crucial. Well, it's absolutely right. And driving a stick shift was something I'd learned to do because I'd grown up in an area where there were kind of half rural things. And it was the, I was getting my driver's license in the early 60s. So half the cars had stick shifts. I moved to New York with a guy who had a graduate degree in film production. And he and I are both out there looking for jobs. I've got my little bachelor's degree. We're going door to door. I think I'm so much more motivated than he is. I think I'm so much more organized. And I think I've really got a lot more to offer. He gets a job. He gets a job before me driving a truck. But the next morning, he leaves early for work. And uh, I'm eating my bowl of cereal before I'm about to go and start my door-to-door job search. And the phone rings, and it's him. And he says, do you know how to drive a stick shift? I said, yeah, I'm a guy. And he, <laughs> and he said, and he, he said, I don't. This truck I've got where I'm supposed to pick up the props uh, is a stick shift. So can you come bail me out? The guy who knew how to drive a, a clutch was now working in the film business. That was the single job skill that mattered. And I owe him a tremendous debt because until that day, I did not know there was a thing called the commercial production business, Jim. I, was, I thought you made movies. I thought there were television shows. I thought there were documentaries. And I walked onto a stage. I'm watching all these people making a goddamn Minute Rice commercial. I think I should really learn about this. So is there a broader lesson here, Bruce? Is it that learn everything you can, you don't know what's going to be useful? I think that I think that one of the things that I've found in my little corner, which would be filmmaking, is a lot of kids come out of film school. It's really unfortunate. But these programs give students a false idea that there are jobs out there. Like you graduate and there's a job for you somewhere. They are in need of a director named Frank and you're going to walk into that job. There are no jobs. There have never been jobs out there. All of those jobs are going to be created on the fly, but your way of walking into them or being exposed to them is usually going to come not because of your skill of what you want to be, but because of some much more mundane skill that's going to get you in the room, being able to type, being able to drive a stick shift. I got my first job in journalism on a trade magazine 
because the managing editor read on my resume at the very end, you put in the other interests and, you know, I'm a bird watcher or whatever. So I, I mentioned that I play blues harmonica and it turned out this guy was a big blues fan. So he thought, hmm, this guy with zero experience looks like he might be kind of fun to hang out with. Let's call him in for an interview. Perfect. Perfect example. I found that's what happened in any job interview I went into. It wasn't they, they didn't care where I'd gone to school. They didn't care if I'd gone to school. The last thing they wanted to do was look at my student film. It was like they would pay me to not look at my student film. But there was a human connection that would, would, would make it go. But I was never able to turn it into a full-time job until I, the, the way I did, I hired myself. Then I had a full-time job because I worked for me. What do you mean by that? You hired yourself. Well, for what I was doing, no company was going to hire me. I had no skills. I had no experience. I just said, I want to be a director. But I did know if I opened a little company and said I was the director at the company, then I would hire me. It was my company and I had a job. So it gave me a little platform to then go out and look for work from. Incredibly naive. You know, if I, I'd worked for one guy for about six weeks and I thought that was like an MBA because I understood that here was how business worked. You sold something for more than it cost you. And then you tried to live for as long as possible on what you were able to keep. Another piece of advice in the book concerns working with famous people or big shots of various types. And in your business, you've worked with a lot of them. And you say treat everyone as if they're a normal person. On the list of people you've worked with, to me, maybe the most intimidating would be Clint Eastwood. How do you treat Clint Eastwood like he's a normal person? Quite by mistake, one of the biggest things I learned was that the sooner I swore in front of a celebrity, the more relaxed they were. So if I would say, you know, da, 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 I don't know what the fuck is happening with this, suddenly everybody would relax a little bit. But it also made me see that Famous people were famous. That was kind of part of their job. But when we were doing work with them, it was inside the context of what had made them famous. So everybody knew who they were. And everybody was used to being around movie stars. Clint got out of his car. I was in a panic because the day before I'd had this rough day with Charles Bronson, who was this arrogant, strange, short man with weird needs involving mascara. And he had terrified, terrified a, uh, uh, the driver that we had sent out to see him. So I figure when Clint's going to show up, it's going to be that times 10. And uh, I'm waiting in the parking lot. And I turn to my producer and I say, where's Clint Eastwood's trailer? She goes, he didn't want one. I said, oh my God, what are you doing to me? We don't have a trailer for Clint Eastwood? She said, no, he didn't want one. I said, well, who's driving him? Himself. He didn't want a driver. No. Yeah, that's what I spoke to him myself, Bruce. That's what he said. Right on cue, the guy pulls in in a late model Buick, you know, hops out. And uh, I walk over and I say, hi, Mr. Eastwood. I don't even finish it. He just goes, Clint. It's Clint. And I said, oh, OK, I'm Bruce. And he was the world's most normal guy. But that was kind of my biggest push-off point, Jim, for realizing, because then I went off to work with, uh, over a decade, these massive 
stars around the world and just treating them as normal folks. It was, I think, a pleasure for them. They could be themselves as opposed to feeling as if they were being looked at as some rarefied animal. Another piece of advice that you have, Bruce, is if somebody's getting started trying to get a foothold in, in an industry, you say, go to any meeting, anywhere, anytime. Someone might hire you. I have had more opportunity come simply because if you put it nicely, Jim, you say, oh, you were just naive. I was really stupid. I didn't know enough to sort of put on a performance. I would just always try to be as accessible as I could and say, I'll get on the phone with that person. I would take any phone call. Uh, I would respond to any email. Because um, I know that when I was doing it, it meant a lot to me. And those are people I remembered for my whole career, th these supposedly famous people who were too busy. And then the really interesting ones were always the ones who would make themselves available. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with Bruce Van Dusen, author of 60 Stories, about 30 seconds. If you want to hear an excerpt from one of the funniest stories in the book, then you'll find it on our website, howdowefixit.me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One of the things I think that coronavirus has taught us is how addicted many of us are to what we do on a daily basis. We're scared of change, and we think that our careers or our business will never change. You say nothing lasts forever unless you tinker with it all the time. What do you mean? I offered it up from a creative perspective, and I was saying... If a director just makes the same type of story over and over, if a comedian does the same shtick, if a band just does the same record, it will be over. It will be over. It doesn't take anything away from their skill. It's just that they won't be able to expand their audience. And I think that they'll actually, as artists, as creative people, get bored and the first thing that happened in my industry was that film kind of went away and it all became digital. That was tremendously disruptive for uh, many people. It was tremendously disruptive for the equipment suppliers. It was tremendously disruptive for 
particularly the camera departments, because they were all used to trying to work with film. They were dealing with a chemical process, and suddenly they were dealing with an, a, a digital process. And the thing that frightened me forever in anything creative was, you know, the phrase that applies to whether we're writers or directors or actors is to be a one-hit wonder. And my industry is full of it, of guys who direct one spot, they get busy for a year, you know, and you see them five years later and they're, they're you know, they're working down at uh, Pinchick's paint store and you go, what the hell happened to you, man? I, nobody ever hired me again. Oh, so it's, it's being adaptable, Richard, and it's kind of doing it, realizing that if you don't, there's a good risk you're going to you're going to not have much to do in that chosen field. You've got to keep trying to figure out some new way to do it. Another observation, Bruce, is that you have to accept that sooner or later you will be fired. Yeah. Yeah. I got fired a lot. Um, my business is one where you compete against other directors uh, in what they call a bidding process. Then there's a huge presentation that's done with a booklet like a small magazine. And um, in the beginning, I thought, oh, I'll just learn to deal with this. And then I found that it made me furious every time I lost a job. I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd look for someone to blame, someone in my office. Take about 36 hours before all the, the loathing would be self-directed. And then I would just be, I would just figure it was all my fault. You get better at losing jobs. I mean, I can talk about getting fired on an airplane, which is a, it's it's, a, it's so stupid. It was it was unbelievable. I was I took this flight all the time, American Flight One, which left early enough that you could land in L.A. at ten o'clock and have a whole day of work. But at this particular time in the eighties, you could make phone calls from airplanes, but only on these phones that had been installed in the seats, those GTE phones that were in the back of the seats. And I think it cost like $10 a minute to be on these goddamn phones, but you felt so important dialing up and checking into your office. So uh, midway over the United States, I call my office and my producer gets on and he sounds a little bit uncomfortable. And I said, so what's, what's up here? Who's going to meet me? And they said, he said, you know, things have changed a little bit. I said, what's that? He said, we, we didn't get the job. I said, I don't understand. He said, yeah, they, they, you're, you don't have the job. You don't, you're, you're, you kind of got fired. And I said, but I'm going out to Los Angeles. They said, yeah, when do you want to come back? And, uh, I realized I might, I might as well do it immediately. What other pieces of advice would you give to your younger self, to Bruce Van Dusen, age 23 or 24, when you first got into the business, that you know now, but you didn't know then? I feel like I could have calmed down a little bit. I think I was extremely anxious and tightly wound. And scared because I was not sure that I would ever get another job. But at the same time, Richard, I think that, that all that anxiety was an essential component to my being able to ultimately be a success. 
it's probably going to have taken a year or two off my life, but I'll, I'll tell you when I go and lecture at, at, in communications programs in colleges, I am talking to young men and women who have no drive. They kind of think, oh, yeah, I'm going to graduate and be a director. Or, what are you going to be directing? Something. I think having that neurotic energy is not a bad thing. And I think having that slight fear that either you're going to be found out or you're going to be starved to death is not a terrible thing for that first five or six, five or 10 years. I think you need it. So you're affirming to your younger self uh, what you I, know now. I'm affirming for the, I'd go for the first five or 10. I was still that nuts when I was 45. You know, I was, I was in the, top 10 in my business. And I was still convinced every day I was, I was going to be out of business. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about collaboration. Filmmaking is a famously collaborative business where you have to bring together technical people, writers, you've got to work with in advertising, you got to work with clients and agencies. In your book, you say you have to learn when to let things slide. But you also say, to use your words, you have to know when and how to be an asshole. Um, you don't do what I did for the first 15 years, which was just default into being an asshole. Anytime I, was, I felt like I was having my control of the set threatened, I would behave badly. And as a result, I had a terrible reputation. I have no idea how I was able to get through uh, all of that and keep working. But I was so focused on not giving up my control. Um, but then I learned that there were super important things and there were things that were really not so important. And if I was a mature adult, I could let somebody come in and say, oh, can I move the vase three inches? Yeah, I don't give a shit about the vase. Move the vase. But if I gave up control over the things that really were going to inform the final product, the final product was going to be bad. I mean, most people say all advertising is bad, but it would really be bad. And then I would get blamed for it. And so again, it was somewhat defensive, Jim. I learned in the beginning, I was just being an asshole because I was an asshole. But as I got going and was working on much better and bigger material, I realized that I had to do it at times when it was going to protect whatever the integrity of the job was, but it was also going to protect me because if I did what they wanted me to, the end product was going to stink and they'd go, hey, he's a shitty director. And I'd go, no, that wasn't my idea. You're smart, you're successful. And I know you pretty well, Bruce. I think that one thing that marks you out for many others is unlike a lot of people, you know, or at least have a sense of what you don't know. Uh, he, there's a quote in 60 Stories, about 30 seconds, from the novelist Walker Percy. And he wrote, you live in a deranged age, more deranged than usual, because in spite of great scientific and technological advances, man has not the faintest idea of who he is or what he is doing. You agree with that saying, don't you? 
I do. Now the book is going out. People are reading it, and and some of the people who are reading it are people who actually bought it. And what more people mention than anything else is the idea that I write so well and accessibly about how we feel like frauds, and we're all scared that we're going to be found out, not just when we're 25, but that when we're 50 and we've done it for 30 years, there's still a little thing in the back of our head, no matter what we're doing, that maybe these people aren't confident that I am expert at this. This is a thought I hope does not go through the mind of colorectal surgeons, 747 pilots. I want those bastards to be completely confident all the time. But I think that the the idea of having a true skill, a practice skill, like a muscle memory, takes so long to get that we really do spend a long time flailing around, not really knowing how to do it. We get better at the flailing, but it's, it, it takes so long to, to, to be expert at something. So long. And it's not, it, you can be a genius, you, you know, you can be a, a savant, or you can be a, a clod. Some stuff you just, some, you just got to write five million sentences. You got to do a hundred thousand radio broadcasts. In my case, by the time I'd done about 500 commercials, I thought, oh no, I, I know exactly what I'm doing here. That didn't mean that the wheels didn't fall off every day and I'd have to figure something out, but I was much less insecure about being able to do my job. But it took a long time. Bruce Van Dusen, thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thanks for having me. I was... Uh, thrilled to be here. I'm a fan of this podcast and uh, you've done me a, a big solid by letting me come and visit with you today. Well, it's our pleasure. So Richard, we've come to the time of the show where we need to make our recommendations. And I have one that is uh, something that I have to confess, I have not read in its entirety yet uh, because it just came out, but I am really excited about this book. It's called Made Men. The Story of Goodfellas, one of the greatest movies ever made in my book. And the author is a good friend of mine, a guy named Glenn Kenny, who some people might recognize as a, a, a film critic for the New York Times and other publications. And he has gone back and reconstructed the story of how this extraordinary movie was made, talking to a lot of the key participants. So it's a it's a great read, a real window into a moment in filmmaking. Great. And the book name again, Jim? Is Made Men, The Story of Goodfellas. So in this episode, we've been talking with Bruce Van Dusen about his book, uh, 60 Stories, About 30 Seconds. Very funny, a mix of stories about idiotic mistakes, surprising successes, and some real business and life lessons well-learned. There were some really interesting takeaways that I wish I'd known more about when, when I was young. And that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to invite Bruce onto the show. I liked his thinking about 
getting fired. But I think if you look at your life, if you're expecting your career to proceed along some kind of a predictable path, then you are setting yourself up for a lot of unhappiness. We live in a time of, of change. All times are, people will say this at any point in human history, probably. We live in a time of great change. But the change moves faster now in in the economy because of the influence of technology. Certainly, you know, as a refugee of, of the publishing business, I can, I certainly saw that firsthand and yet there are also ways to adapt. So I, I think that for me, the lesson there is always be planning for that next job and learning those skills and developing those, those connections and contacts and expertise that might carry you through to a, a job that you can't even imagine yet. So be hungry, be flexible, and be a little bit humble. You keep saying this word humble. Bruce doesn't really radiate humbleness <laughs> to me. I, I think that- Okay, you, okay, well, that, that, that's a great point. You're, you're right, he doesn't. He's not humble, but he he is aware that at times he's an idiot like the rest of us. Yeah, in retrospect. But I mean, but I don't <laughs> think he became one of the one of the country's top commercial directors by being a pussycat on the set. Thanks for calling me out on my overuse of the word humble. You're quite right. I am not humble. Um, I espouse the importance of being humble, but I fail every day at that. It's, <laughs> I, I, I that's guess. a very that's a very humble statement, Richard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. This podcast and all of our podcasts are uh, productions of Davies content. Uh, we make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. You can find out more at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.